The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, we're Carlene and Jill, hosts of Breaking Beauty Podcast, the show all about the breakthrough people, products, and moments in beauty. On our show, you're going to find hella inspiring guests like Emily Weiss of Glossier, and you'll get beauty tips galore from the top pros in the industry, like Kim Kardashian's makeup guru. And you'll hear skincare secrets from the likes of Dr. Pimple Popper. Plus, you'll get shopping help with our Damn Goods episodes, where we review the latest products hitting store shelves to let you know what's actually worth your money. Listen every Wednesday to Breaking Beauty Podcast. Welcome to RealPod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick-Brown, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. Welcome back to Real Pod, everybody. I hope that your week has been lovely. I have been getting back into the swing of things since Cubby's Bachelorette, which was so much fun. If you were following along on my Instagram, you saw everything we were up to in Park City. It was a winter opera ski themed type bachelorette, and it was so much fun. (laughs) I wish we could run it back. I am so excited, though, to welcome our guest today who is back on the podcast. We have had great Gold before, and I'm so grateful that she is returning to Real Pod to celebrate the launch of her new book. For anyone who doesn't know the name Gracie Gold, respectfully, were you watching the Olympics as a child? <laughs> I remember watching Gracie and even reading about her in magazines and just thinking she was incredible. I mean, she really was like America's figure skating sweetheart. She is an Olympic bronze medalist, a two-time national champion, a two-time world team trophy champion. And she still holds the record for the highest short program score ever recorded by an American woman. The score was 76.43 at the 2016 world championships. And get this, I said she was here to promote her book today and her book that is out now that you can go get and I highly encourage you to get. I literally read it in 24 hours. It was so good. I could not stop reading it, especially as a former athlete myself. I think all female athletes should read this book. It was incredible, but also just anyone at all. It's such a authentic telling of what's really going on behind the glittery, glamorous bronze medal surface. And Gracie's book is titled Out of Shape, Worthless Loser. Yes, you heard that right. Despite Gracie's insane, outstanding ice skating career, she has been incredibly open about her struggles behind the scenes. After winning her bronze medal at the Sochi Winter Games, Gracie faced personal challenges. She struggled with depression, anxiety, and eating disorder, which she shares very candidly in her book. And she also reveals that she is a survivor of sexual assault. 
Gracie and I are going to dive into her story today to hear how she's worked through these issues and how she's become so willing to share them with the public, truly in hopes of helping other athletes and high performers. I think she is so real, such a breath of fresh air. I'm so excited that her book, Out of Shape, Worthless Loser, is out everywhere now, and I am honored to have her back on the podcast today. Before we get started, I wanted to read a review and give a shout out to one of you lovely RealPod listeners. And this shout out goes to Eth. Hi, Eth. Eth left a five-star review that said, a podcast seemingly made just for me as an ex-competitive volleyball player. I found Victoria on YouTube many years ago, then started listening to RealPod when as a wedding photographer, I wanted to get all the tea on her wedding planning. But according to Spotify, I listened to RealPod for 3,800 minutes in 2022, which makes sense because Vic and her guests then helped me through some of the toughest parts of my life in regards to mental health, finding myself, my purpose again, and healing my relationship to food in my body. RealPod is perfect for any ex-competitive volleyball player, wedding photographer, late 20s girlies with a binge eating disorder. Oh my God, Eth, I love this. But honestly, it's worth a listen for anyone with a heartbeat looking to improve their lives. Oh, oh my gosh. This just, I'm smiling ear to ear. Thank you. You made me giggle. I totally understand the struggles. And I'm so grateful that RealPod has been a place for you, Eth, to come and feel comforted and seen and inspired. I know you will love this episode with Gracie because it is perfect for the mid-20s ex-athlete, wedding photographer, binge eating disorder. Gracie's so candid about her eating disorders, which I love. She actually will share that the book was almost going to be titled Field Anorexic, which is iconic to those of us who know the struggle. Anyways, thank you for the love and support of RealPod. I appreciate getting the feedback from all of you who listen. Please leave me a rating and review. You just may be the shout out on next week's episode if you do, and it really helps out the show. Without further ado, let's get into this conversation with Gracie Gold, Olympic medalist and author of Out of Shape, Worthless Loser. Gracie, welcome back to RealPod. I'm so excited to be talking to you again. Congratulations. I literally could not put your book down. And I'm not just saying that. I was obsessed with it. Thank you. It was such a detailed description of your whole life story, which I can't even imagine the process of going back and, you know, remembering all these specific instances, most of which are really dark, deep, and the things that we kind of maybe bring up a few times in therapy and closed circles, not necessarily in a book that everyone will read. You've always been candid about your mental health struggles and your journey, which is why I've always been a big admirer of of you as a female athlete. So what made you want to write this memoir for the world? My mom and I used to joke like, you should write a book one day because some some of those is wild. I don't know. I just feel like my life has always been, I don't want to say interesting because I just feel that's so, you know, I'm just like, oh, just the most interesting person ever. But it has in a lot of ways. And especially because skating is a sport that everyone watches and everyone knows, but it's really people only watch it at the Olympics. Other than that, you know, there's no most, the general public has no idea what goes into figure skating what that life is like, with the exception of if they've seen The Cutting Edge or like Blades of Glory, that's about (laughs) it. And so just with that, you know, just being a random eight-year-old and then 10 years later being at the Olympics and having an Olympic medal, the mental health struggles, just a lot of stuff I feel like has gone on in my life that I wanted to talk about. I didn't want to write a sports memoir. I wanted to write a memoir from an athlete's kind of point of view that wasn't your fluffy 
you know, sports memoir of they started the sport, stuff went well, and then maybe one bad thing happened and then they won. And like, that's it. <laughs> um, the classic hero's journey. <laughs> yeah. Like that's such a wonderful tale. I just feel my story has been a little bit more of a dark comedy. <laughs> I can validate you do have one of the most interesting life stories I've ever read. Like seriously, the amount of things that you had to overcome and that you had to endure and that you pushed through. First of all, I think everyone should read your book because I could not put it down. It was amazing. Your book is called Out of Shape, Worthless Loser. I'm obsessed with the title. How did you come up with it? And what was the motivation behind it? I took some inspiration from Jeanette McCurdy's book, you know, like I'm glad my mother's dead. I thought that title was just so profound. And I just love that it kind of sucker punched you in the face and it wasn't what you expected. And it had like, that was definitely like dark comedy. Um, And so for mine, when you're looking at book titles, I know I didn't want anything that was a pun on grace or graceful or gold. Not so graceful. A memoir by Gracie Gold. (laughs) Yeah, if anything, like, yeah, like Disgraceful Gold, I guess it's probably one I threw out there. That's a good one. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, It's just the name that I gave to, you know, the voice that lives in your head that tells you you're trash or like there's something wrong with you and just that you should do better. And it's an accumulation of, I guess, like your own self-esteem issues, stuff that other people have told you, expectations of yourself and others, and just like reconciling that voice and like, how do I live with it? It was really between that and failed anorexic, but I have other demons besides in eating disorders. So we ultimately went with out of shape, worthless loser. Well, I think it's brilliant and it definitely made me want to read the book and I loved it. So you guys killed it. Did you feel though that you had to kind of weigh the pros and cons of like, wanting your full story to be out there and knowing that that would involve, you know, being really transparent about your parents' marriage and the infidelity that, you know, your dad pursued and your mom's own struggles. You know, I oftentimes am like, I want to write a book one day. And then I'm like, I'm either going to have to get people to agree or it might not be what they wanted. So like, are your parents supportive of the memoir and have you spoke to them about it? I mean, I know they they both know, obviously, that I'm writing a memoir and I struggled a lot with writing about my mom the most because she has, first off, like she's had a crazy life. Like she's been dealt some of the worst hands since, I mean, since birth. And I feel like it's hard. I don't really want to be a parent. It might not really, I mean, I, I don't at all. Writing about my mom was definitely... The hardest because I know that she over 95% of the time did the best she could with what she was dealing with. And I, in some ways, hope that women that have been married to narcissists and sociopaths will kind of like resonate with her story. And a lot of times that she was, you know, I felt like maybe mean or short or difficult. A lot of times that's because something was going on with her marriage and with her own life. And she really tried to paint my father as a good man and a good dad as long as she could. But I did not appreciate that as a child or certainly a teenager. But growing up now, and I'm like, oh, to be married to, you know, a sociopath and a narcissist and an addict that's an unhealed addict, also trying to raise twin daughters. My father participated in the family 
financially, but in a lot of ways, I identify with being raised by a single mom. She essentially raised an Olympian and, you know, a big finance star kind of by herself in a lot of ways. And just, I didn't really appreciate her struggle until I was older, but there are definitely some stories in the book that maybe don't paint her in the best light, but I don't resent my mom. And it took me, I had to, it took me years, obviously, to get to this point. I've always respected my mom. In some ways, I wish when I was a kid or a teenager, my frontal lobe would have been more developed and I would have understood this. And I think our relationship would have been better. But again, that's a 12 year old's, even 16, like 19 year old mind has trouble comprehending that. Yeah. And I mean, that's like the story of getting older, right? Is then being able to think, oh my gosh, our parents were literally just like trying to live their life the way that we are now as we become older and get adults. And there's no manual and perfect way. And for what it's worth, I did take that from the book that your mom literally did the best she could, you know, and that's relative to each person and their own experience. And I feel like what you opened up about with finding out about your dad's affair is such a common story for so many kids, but it's so stigmatized and it's not something people talk about because of the sacredness of family, or there is always this small part that wants to like idolize your parents and believe that, you know, everything is great. And then I think as a reader and someone who used to watch you when you were skating, you talk a lot about the way that we perceive figure skating and it's this perfect performance and you were compared to Grace Kelly and you were supposed to be, you know, America's sweetheart. And then when you went home, all of the things that you were dealing with personally in your family, in the pursuit of the Olympics was so far from, you know, the cookie cutter life that the media and world maybe thought that you were living especially in the 2000s, like early 2010s, like the Midwestern family, you know, it just, it had a certain look to it and it was, you know, a crime or it felt like a sin to talk about these things. And, you know, and then to find out like, it wasn't just an affair that we had to find out that my mom this whole time was really trapped with this kind of emotional terrorist in her life. And that, while trying to also raise an Olympic figure skater. And yeah, it was just kind of strange. And I call it like in my head, like the dollhouse effect. The Melanie Martinez, her song, like dollhouse, really, I almost could have just like skipped the memoir and just been like, oh no, this is the memoir. It's like this song actually, Mm -hmm. like almost to a C. But it was difficult when I was younger because I didn't have the words or understand quite what it was. I just knew that the vibes were off. Mm-hmm. As someone who was so used to portraying maybe the opposite of what was really going on, you've seemed to step into so much truth and vulnerability and doing it in such a public way. How have you tapped into that? Well, I've like always been probably too honest. And, you know, when I was younger, it was a huge problem. You know, my mom was Gracie, filter, your filter. You, have to, you can't just say whatever you think immediately. And it took me a long time to even develop a filter. And so if anything, in some ways, the dollhouse effect and like lying to the media was easier because it just kind of felt like this different person, kind of like Gracie Gold developed. But in the book, again, I wanted to write a memoir and not a fluffy sports memoir. So to be selectively vulnerable, didn't feel right. I, you know, I had to tell my story and my truth as it is, even if it is strange 
you know, for a lot of years, I felt like people don't really know me. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's a shield or, but I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. So I have thought like, wow, <laughs> like the whole world might know me and know me like pretty intimately, but also, you know, I said I was going to write a memoir and my story and all of its truths and that it wasn't going to be sugarcoated or fluffy or for kids. And, you know, I just followed that through. I'm excited to tell you about a new sponsor of the podcast today, Cora. Cora has the number one selling 100% organic cotton tampon, and they have a compact plant-based applicator. We all have our products that we always reach for at the store just because we're like familiar with them. Like I will always buy the bread that my mom raised me eating, <laughs> but sometimes we need change, especially when it comes to products that are really good for our bodies and also good for the planet. And that's why making the switch to Cora for period care products is one you can feel really good about. I personally love that Cora's tampons are eco-conscious. They're made without the harmful pesticides, chlorine, fragrances, or dyes, and give me the protection I need. Ever since going off of birth control, I have had a heavier flow, so that's important to me, and it's just one less thing I have to worry about when it's my time of the month. And Cora prioritizes that. They design their period care products with different people's needs in mind, so you can find the best fit based on size or flow, and the multi-pack is great to have on hand to have a variety. And best of all, with every purchase, Cora provides period products and body education to people who might otherwise go without it. I love that so much. So make the switch to Cora. Pick up Cora tampons and pads at your local Target or CVS or have them delivered directly to your door by visiting my special URL, Cora.life slash RealPod. That's Cora, C-O-R-A dot life slash real pod. And if you use my promo code real pod, you'll get 20% off. So that's 20% off at Cora dot life slash real pod with promo code real pod. Max and I are going to be hosting a little get together at our place. And if there's one thing my friends and I love on the weekends and during the week, okay, let's be real. It's an ice cold, hard seltzer. And one of the fan favorites that we always like to have on hand is truly. And Truly is shaking things up. Truly is introducing their new party pack. Truly believes life can be more refreshing when we can be real, let loose, embrace imperfection, and allow ourselves to be free from convention. That's why Truly has something for everyone in more than 30 unique flavors. 30 flavors. Can you believe it? Including three lightly flavored mix packs, berry and new party pack. So truly hard seltzers, new party pack has a flavor for everyone, making it perfect for you and your friends. They have four fan favorite flavors, including brand new raspberry, which is, oh, it's so good. I love raspberry anything. And when truly introduced a new raspberry flavor, I had to have it. You can bring it to wine night, bring it to book club, bring it to gym. Okay. Maybe, maybe not the gym, but you get the idea. The point is, with this new pack from Truly, there's nowhere you can't bring the party. To find Truly Hard Seltzer near you, go to trulyhardseltzer.com slash locations. That's trulyhardseltzer.com slash locations. Truly Hard Seltzer. Keep it light. Truly Hard Seltzer Beverage Company, Boston, Massachusetts. Please drink responsibly. We love being responsible. And make sure you go to trulyhardseltzer.com slash locations so you can find Truly Hard Seltzer near you. I think there are a lot of athletes out there who want to achieve something like an Olympic gold medal or making it to the Olympics. But I feel like your story really captures how grueling the process is. 
And I think the thing that realizing and just reading what you wrote is how despite all your preparation or how badly you wanted it, sometimes it would feel like the moments before you describe going out to perform or skate it's really like there's this 20% luck piece of like, is everything going to come together? Is everything going to happen the way it's supposed to? I think one time you detail just like letting your body take over and muscle memory. So as you look back on your career and everything that you put in, how much of it do you feel was really like in your control ultimately? I mean, there is, there's a lot that is in your control, but there is a tough to swallow of sports and probably life too. It's just the concept of you can do everything right. And sometimes it still goes wrong. Like sometimes it just still doesn't work out. That's just life. And in the same way, sometimes you do get lucky where you didn't do everything right leading up to it and it went well. And that was really difficult, especially as like a perfectionist to handle where it's like, but I did literally everything perfectly and it didn't end up perfect. And anything less than that would be a disappointment. And that's just too much going on in one's head prior to going out to compete. I think the hardest part of competing in some of those really hard events are the ones that I really felt like I did absolutely everything that one could have done leading up to it. And it still didn't go well. Right. I really appreciated how open you were about your eating disorder and your struggles with body image. And that's something that we touched on a few years ago when we spoke. And even just reading it back so vividly and relating in my own ways. I mean, if anyone survived the 2000s and didn't Google how to be anorexic, kudos to them because (laughs) that was hard to avoid. And honestly, like seeing some of the lengths that you went to and you talk about how you developed this, you know, I don't know whether you'd call it an addiction or not, but this obsession with laxatives and the calorie counting and I honestly felt really seen in the ways of, okay, so even the Olympians did this. (laughs) Oh yeah. I mean, I was completely pro Anna trigger warning just because the thought of going into the rink being bigger, the amount of shame that that triggered within me was overwhelming. And I was willing to literally do anything to prevent that from happening. Just the intense shame that it triggered in me. 99% of my mental breakdowns from like 2013 until even sometimes now, they are 99% of the time related to body dysmorphia, body, anything, eating disorders, like it all will come back to that somehow. I also was feeling for you when you talked about how it was that first comment made by one of your former coaches, Alex. And prior to that, you had never really thought about it. And you were like, my pregame meal was whatever was in the vending machine. And I think any person who ends up developing some sort of eating disorder does have that like light switch moment. And usually the light turning on is a good thing. But in this case, it's not where you're sent on this completely different trajectory. And do you sometimes think like, if it had been someone else or if that comment wasn't said, maybe I wouldn't have had these struggles? Or do you think it might have been inevitable with the sport of figure skating having such heavy scrutiny on image? I worry that in some ways it was probably inevitable because the amount of people in the world that aren't competitive figure skaters that have eating disorders just tells me that it's not necessarily unique to being in a like skinny sports or profession. But that is the 
uh, origin story, but it's also, uh, I mean, me just kind of being, I can be the best at everything. And I was like, I can totally be the best anorexic. I can absolutely do that. The other title that I really liked for the book was called Failed Anorexic because that was at that a shape worthless loser in her voice was the bigger arc, but also one of the subgroups was, you know, I was like, and I failed at this as well. First off, I just think that's like a hilarious title. Secondly, just the shame I felt when I felt like I failed at not eating and just how dark that was. It probably was inevitable, but I think when it became tied in with the feelings of shame, that I should be ashamed that I'm bigger than I should be. I'm ash- I should be ashamed that I ate whatever for lunch. That's like when it really became problematic. If somehow we could take the shame out of it and just be factual, like if you have to, in a sport, we have to lift your body weight over the course of four minutes and 10 seconds and have long lines and like all the blah, 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 a lighter frame, like a smaller frame, a leaner frame might be better or it might be easier to jump higher. If you weighed less like that isn't necessarily a completely out of pocket. You know, there's a way to talk to people about managing weight without making them feel like shit. And that just wasn't presented to me. Mm -hmm. It is such a shameful feeling for some reason when someone makes a comment about our body. And I think it goes to a point that you made in the book, which is height is something you can't control. There's certain things out of your control and you have to shrug your shoulders and move on. But when someone makes a comment about weight or hair color, you know, those are things that we can technically tweak if we want. And so it is that feeling of like, oh my gosh, how could I be, how could I not have done this or seen this? Because technically like they'll view me as someone who, I don't know, didn't care or like didn't understand what, what I should have been. And so then you take it personally. Just the shame of that as if somehow, you know, I wouldn't have bombed a world if I had simply not eaten dinner. Like that concept is crazy, but also you're like, oh my God, if that was it, like it is my fault. And why can't I be skinny like other people? Why is it so hard for me? And eating disorders are also like perfect for control freaks, which sometimes I can struggle with that because you can control absolutely a hundred percent of what you put in your mouth and how much like you try to, I mean, these are things that are absolutely in your control, assuming you don't have like a metabolic issue. So for a control freak, it's like the perfect coping mechanism, as well as I kind of kind of talk in the book, eating disorders are really glamorized, even like still sometimes in society, but especially in the 2000s, like early 2010s, it wasn't until that you were literally dying that people were like, oh, we have a problem here. But until then, it was a lot of those behaviors where they really were glamorized. You were congratulated on them. Mm-hmm. People were really impressed by your discipline. Yes, they'd um, admire. How, how, how are you not eating? Teach me how, right? Like it was this group effort. Yeah, that, that's a darker and like bigger struggle. And it is a tricky addiction to handle because unlike other addictions, you know, you can cut out heroin, you can cut out crystal, you can cut out alcohol, but you can't entirely cut out foods. You have to learn how to manage this addiction of either restriction or binging or other same with, I mean, over-exercising. It's like, you just, you can't just cut out moving your body entirely. So you have to manage it, which is extremely difficult. And the acknowledgement of that eating disorders, you have to fit a certain weight limit before society would even consider you to have one. And that if you are, certainly if you're bigger, that's not an eating disorder, right? That's a lack of discipline is kind of the rhetoric. 
as opposed to, I think, you know, to, you don't have to qualify. I think that if you use heroin once, like you qualify mm-hmm. of like, yeah, there's something very wrong here, but with eating disorders, it's not quite, it's not quite like that. And it's this exactly what you said. It's this thing that you need to live. So you can't just be like, okay, I'm just like never going to eat again. Like you, you have to have it. And so you have to figure out how am I going to have this relationship in a healthy way, especially coming from a not healthy way. And I think as this generation move up, I kind of talk about it in the book, but I think a lot of the almond moms is probably what they'd be called on TikTok. But in, I feel like in some ways back in the day, specifically, again, kind of speaking of eating disorders, there wasn't any type of body positivity movement to my knowledge, <laughs> like back in those days, you know, a lot of the older coaches and people that are influential in skating are still living in that time period. And I still think the glamorization of the working, you know, for, ugh, like 120 hours a week, like, you know, just absolutely to push yourself to the brink to accomplish something, certainly in this society that's super glamorized and it is super impressive. And if you are not constantly pushing yourself to the top, climbing the corporate ladder, that you are complacent, that you're not a dreamer and it's somehow less, but, you know, to push yourself to your body falling apart because of how hard you work, there is some, it's almost like there's, there should be like pride in that. Like I almost feel like people are like, I mean, that feeling it used to give me was like, oh, I'm better than everybody else. (laughs) Like I'm better than other people. And that was like another version of kind of the high that I chased was Undoubtedly, I'm sure a therapist would say, because I had such low self-esteem in myself that I had to seek validation from others. And I got it from really doing crazy things, but for the Olympics. And then suddenly everything was okay. Like if you only sleep four hours and there's crazy hours, yeah, there's like admiration to be found in it, which is like super dark. Also in the book, when I got to, I think it's the 11th chapter and it's titled Innocence Lost. This is I think, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the first times you'd opened up about experiencing sexual assault in your own life. And what was it that made you want to tell this story at all? Because survivors, of course, have that choice. And I'm curious your mindset, especially when you detailed the way that it was one of the first things in your life you didn't even feel comfortable talking to your sister Carly about? Yeah. I mean, the shame of like sexual assault is again, it's really easy. I think to say like, why don't you just come forward? I mean, I experienced it. It's absolutely not. And I'm a relatively honest person. It was a very life changing experience and like a big T trauma in my life and to not share it would do like the whole memoir, a disservice really of saying again, just like the selective vulnerability. And it's, it's a huge part of my story, however uncomfortable it is for readers or for myself. And it also, I feel like played into the difficulties of the John chapter and navigating that, you know, as a victim of rape myself, I just feel like it was very relevant. I couldn't leave such a traumatic and really life trajectory altering thing out of a memoir. Mm -hmm. And you had said at one point in the book that you had a conversation with some old white man on the phone about this, which is just, I mean, so many things wrong with the system and the way that they quote, try to comfort in absolutely not comforting survivors. Have you pursued that case or injustice any further 
or has it been something you've decided to continue healing in your own life and advocating in your own life? There is an open skate safe report on it. So there are some details and things that I couldn't discuss in the book, like for legal purposes that were out of my control. But yeah, it's still an open marked like active case. Okay. True story on Cubby's Bachelorette this past weekend, I brought just handfuls of element so that every girl could have element on the trip because it's the perfect time. We're traveling, we're tired, we're jet lagged, we're on our feet all day long. We went snowmobiling. And the best way to replenish electrolytes, in my opinion, is Element. Element helps anyone stay hydrated. Electrolyte deficiency or imbalance can cause headaches, cramps, fatigue, brain fog, and weakness. And each stick pack of Element delivers a meaningful dose of electrolytes. Element is even the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting and many other Olympic athletes. I love Element, especially after a workout class in my water. It's just, it's so good. I'm like so into the taste. Now, when you first have your first sip, you're going to be like, oh my God, this is really salty. Just keep going. I promise you're going to be like, whoa, I can't get enough of this stuff. I recommend the flavors raspberry, citrus, and orange. And the best part is that if you go to drinkelement.com slash realpod, you can receive a free element sample pack with any order when you purchase through that URL. So go to drinkelement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T.com slash realpod to receive a free element sample pack with any order when you purchase through our special RealPod link. You can try Element totally risk-free. So if you don't like it, you can get your money back. Literally no questions asked. So head to drinkelement.com slash RealPod to receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through our special RealPod link. Enjoy. Today's episode is sponsored by Vionic. I just love Vionic so much because as a flat-footed girly, I know the pain of not having support in my shoes. And Vionic is amazing because they have so many different styles of shoes, like loafers in 10 different shades of premium suede and leather. They have heeled sandals that don't sacrifice comfort. They have the Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which I love and I have in white. It's like the unapologetic dad sneaker. It looks so cute. These are the fan favorite for sure. And they also have slip-on flats. And not only are there so many options and are they very cute, but Bionic's exclusive Viomotion technology is what truly sets them apart. Bionic began by revolutionizing medical orthotics. And then today they continue to use that science to engineer shoes that leave you feeling energized and confident all day. When I slip on any pair of Bionic shoes, I have slippers, I have sneakers, I have flats. I know immediately I'm wearing Bionic because of the support I feel on the sole of the shoe. I think the worst thing is when you buy a cute pair of shoes and then they have literally no support for your feet. I just, I literally cannot walk in shoes that don't have arch support for longer than like an hour. So when I have Bionic shoes, I know I don't even have to worry about that. Try ordering a pair of Bionic shoes and you will feel the difference. Use code REALPOD15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at www.vionicshoes.com when you log into your account, one-time use only. Bionic shoes are wearable well-being for your feet. Grab yourself a pair. What has your life been like since that? And what is something that you don't feel like the general public knows when they see survivors coming forward. And then we have the typical 
stereotypes or judgments, you know, the, the things that keep survivors silent, you know, as you've gone on in your life, how involved has the healing been in your everyday to try to, to move forward from something, but know that you like, ultimately you can't go back in time. It's been really difficult. Um, it was very difficult to have intimate relationships with any and all genders for a period of time after that. And to just feel the shame. Cause in a lot of ways, right. Women are always taught like how to prevent it instead of, you know, like, where's like the lectures for men. And as someone who has a lot of male friends, it's like, you guys definitely know statistically somebody who has raped a woman. I'm so sorry to tell you that. I don't know who it is in your life, but stats say that you know somebody who's part of the problem. And that in some ways though, just shoving information down so I've experienced all of the talks, the color changing nail polish, the stuff about your drink. Don't do this. And of course, the stereotypical, like, don't wear that. And right. It's all how women can avoid this situation and not actually going to the men and saying, stop assaulting and raping women. When actually I should share Brenda Tracy's stuff with you. She's an amazing survivor and she goes and speaks to men and basically says what you're saying. Like you guys are the root of the problem. So we're going to start here because there's all this how to prevent or how to avoid. And I even felt in reading the reasons that you said you stayed silent for so long. And for me to, to say this happened on a night that I was drinking, it's going to come back as my fault or me being irresponsible. But something Brenda Tracy says I love is rape should never be the consequence of insert anything, a short skirt, drinking, going out, not having a buddy. It's never okay, no matter what the situation is. No, I mean, absolutely. And some of that rhetoric, in some ways, I feel the shame that comes with, you know, being raped is that it's like, oh, I failed. Like, I didn't do what they're always telling you to do. Like, I was drinking and I was found myself, you know, in a room alone with a man. But part of my healing was being like, oh, yeah, you know, so like I should be able to do both of those things without being raped. Like that's just what that should be. Certainly once you vocalize absolutely clear as day, no, it, I mean, it can't continue at all. I mean, it just, the shame of being like, oh, I failed. Like there were things in my control that I didn't do. And it's like, that's horseshit. I, I didn't do anything wrong. I was raped. Like I'm the victim. He was the one who did everything incorrectly. Since sharing this with the world, first starting with your sister and your and your friends and family, and then now in your memoir, how has that made you feel more power? Has it made you feel more power of the situation? I'll ask and not assume. No, there are plenty of people in my life that I don't think like really know. And so as far as like power from it or what other people are saying, you know, I kind of healed, I think the most that one can even prior to writing the book you know, it just, this is a big T trauma that happens. You know, I, I don't have shame about it anymore. And my options are to not be able to trust men or have an intimate like relationship with one, or, you know, I'm going to try to move forward the best that I can. I would say that in some ways I feel entirely indifferent about it because that's more comfortable for me. I don't feel like I need to feel like a hero in this scenario. This was a trauma that I've worked with therapists and I've like processed. And it's just this thing that happens to me, but it doesn't carry weight anymore. And I just want to say, and I'm sure the world will feel this once they're 
have your book in their hands. But thank you so much, Gracie, because there's not enough people really talking about this in such a candid way. So I know that this is going to inspire so many women, especially to come forward and to feel more comfortable in what's happened to them. So I hope you know that. And thank you for being so vulnerable in everything, but especially this. Yeah, no, thank you. Of course. So you've had such a whirlwind journey of so many ups and downs that have led you to this point. And is figure skating still in your life? That's a great question. I have trouble imagining a point where it won't be in my life some way. And what capacity, you know, or what role I play in the sports. I'm not sure I was out this entire season from competition because of a hip injury. So right now I'm in Colorado Springs doing rehab and physical therapy on it. So I guess part of it is like, we'll see how that goes, if it recovers well enough to even consider the idea of skating competitively, or just, you know, I wonder if I'll have any limitations or if it'll be like a brand new hip. So, you know, that's kind of the first step. And if I, if I can or can't skate competitively, and then after that, you know, like, we'll just see, maybe there's something else that'll jump out. I don't know if it's commentary or if it's perhaps working with us figure skating and trying to make like real differences and changes in the sports or just coaching. Like we'll see. I love that. And you would be an amazing commentator. I would certainly love to hear if you kept the, keep the signature Gracie candor. And then lastly, you know, a big thing for all athletes is identity and your identity was, you know, clearly laid out for you when you were young in the headlines and even with your last name. And I know you joke about that a lot. How do you view your identity now in this stage in life? You know, whether you are able to skate again competitively or not, or if you're a coach or you're not, how do you think about Gracie? I have to like actively remind myself that like my self-worth is not based on my productivity or what I can do for others, or if I'm like the best athlete or the best at anything and that I can just simply exist, you know, without having to do anything or be anything. And my identity, I don't, I've never been able to be like, oh, this is how I define myself or this is my identity. I just feel like on some level, I've kind of always known who I am. And or certain things that are a part of me. And again, the book, right, talks about reconciling these kind of three parts of me and eventually trying to get them maybe into like one whole person. So the answers, I guess it's this combination of my inner child. I have the Olympic superstar. And then I also have the, you know, dark and mentally ill, right, out of shape, worthless loser. And I have all of these parts of me and like, that's okay. And that I don't have to fit into whatever mold I feel like society wants me to or what other people want me to um, because it's simply not me. Yeah, I love that so much. I've been trying to work on just not even like defining myself because I think our world does try to put us in boxes all the time and like make sense of things. But what if, you know, there's nothing to make sense of really? I don't think you have to know. And I think like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. I've never been very good at answering that question even in my most like perfectly trained media days. And I just don't, and I'm just like a person who's just like trying their best. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Love it. (laughs) Aren't we all? Thank you so much, Gracie. I so appreciate you coming back on Real Pod a second time. I love speaking with you. I'm so excited for the world to read your book. I cannot recommend it enough. So I hope everyone goes and gets it. It is out now. So make sure you go to link in the description and you can purchase your own copy of Out of Shape, Worthless Loser because you will not want to put it down. 
No, thank you for having me again. And thanks for reading the book. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of RealPod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of RealPod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with RealPod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.